Hey, I'm Waylon. And I'm Allie. Welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast, the podcast for and by women entrepreneurs. Every week, we share insightful and inspiring conversations with women entrepreneurs from around the world. To check out our past episodes and be notified in our future ones, subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on now. Today, we're chatting with Shannon, CEO and leadership team coach, best-selling business author, speaker, and serial entrepreneur. Get ready as we talk with Shannon about her entrepreneurial journey and her interesting experience with coaching founders and CEOs. Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast. We are so, so, so excited to be welcoming Shannon onto the podcast today. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Super excited to have you on to chat about everything from the BHAG way, your entrepreneurial journey, and just all a bunch of really fun stuff we're excited to chat about today. But before we get started, we always start off our podcast by asking our guests, what excites you when you wake up in the morning? Well, that's a great question. The thing that excites me when I wake up in the morning is the opportunity I get to work with uh, CEOs and leaders who want to grow. Uh, and that sounds like ridiculous, but they want to grow. They, they actually want to figure out how to do it with ease, speed, and confidence. And it's not just themselves. It's their team. It's their business. I can go on and on and on. That's why I get up every day. I absolutely love it. And to give you a little bit of context, um, Shannon has actually spent over 25 years building iterating and innovating to what we now know as metronomics, a system utilized by hundreds of coaches and companies of all sizes around the world. She's also the author of best-selling business books and is the founder and CEO of Metronome United, alongside just hundreds and hundreds of amazing accolades down her LinkedIn list. I know we shortened it a lot, but a question we'd love to ask our guests after, you know, just like learning more about their bio is, What's something that most people don't know about you? Oh, that's a good one. So most people wouldn't know. Well, actually some people would, but most people (laughs) wouldn't know. I'm hugely passionate about skiing. I live in Whistler, British Columbia, but you know, I consider myself still a ski bum, but Mm -hmm. as a ski bum, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great thing. You got to chase the winters, but uh, growing up myself, businesses in Whistler, British Columbia, in order to fund my first company and to make it all work, you know, a ski instructor and coach, most people know, know that. Okay, great. I worked in a lot of bars. Yes, check. Who hasn't done that? And then the last thing that most people don't know is I drove a taxi. Oh, I drove wow. a taxi two nights a week in Whistler and it was before buses existed. And it was so fun. It was so fun. I can only imagine. Tell me so a fun. crazy story of someone coming to the taxi, a conversation, maybe someone who had a little bit too much to drink on the slopes that <laughs> night. <laughs> no, there's so many, but you know, one that, one that stands out is really leveraging driving a taxi and teaching skiing at the same time, which is, yes. you know, they get into your taxi, you have a chat with them, you're talking, you know, where you're from, all those things. And the most interesting thing is, you know, they're like, hey, we're looking for a ski instructor for the next three days. Do you know of anyone? Do I know of anyone? I think I do. And so (laughs) we would, I would win, you know, and, and if you were requested for a loss and you made three times the amount. So it was a really nice, it turned into a really nice complimentary business between the two and driving a taxi two nights a week and teaching skiing some of the other days of that week. So yeah, it was super great. And then, you know, the funny thing is those, that's what you do to make ends meet while you're building your first company. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love it. The side hustle. I love it. I love oh, it. I yes. love it. Lots of side hustle on Whistler. Absolutely. That's such a fun place to be around as well. Cause everyone has like a lot of different passions. People are really outdoors, yeah. have hobbies to talk about. I think that's super, super cool. Definitely need to yeah. make it to Whistler yeah. sometime soon in the pandemic era. Um, yes. But for now, I'd love to dive into our first kind of general topic of the day, which are traits and generalities we see around founders and CEOs. You're quite lucky to be working with a bunch of different founders and CEOs around the world in different industries geographies, sectors, points, their career, education. So I'm sure you've noticed some common themes and stuff, but I would say the first thing I would love to just get off the bat is what is the biggest misconception you think people have about founders and CEOs? Of being one or of them? 
Ooh, what's more oh. interesting? Uh, I think maybe of being one. Mm. Yeah, because here's the thing, and, and I can probably relate this to myself and many others, actually, being a, a founder, CEO of a tech company in 1995, like that's an eternity ago, <laughs> but it's no different than, you know, someone founding a business in 2022. The, the one thing is the founder has solved the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be founders have solved a problem. Okay. Awesome. They've solved it. They either have tech or something that is like, just like, this is my baby. It is so good. Right. I saw the problem. Do you want to see my baby? Right. So, yep. Yep. The other thing is, is that their passion about solving the problem, you know, they have a good vision for it of what that's going to be. What is the outcome of them solving the problem? So I think that's like, that's in people's hearts. And when you set out, you have the courage to stand up and go, I'm going to solve this and find a team to solve it. The one thing, and I, I had this as well is most have that passion, that grit. I'm going to do what it takes to get it done. I'm going to figure it out. But that's not all you need. <laughs> like you definitely need that. And but we were sort of fooled that way too. We had like, you know, patented technology. Our technology was amazing. We solved the problem. But there was no market. Mm-hmm. We didn't even know if anybody really cared if we solved the problem. Now that sounds ridiculous, but it happens more often than we think. We solve a problem that we see, not not really knowing if there's, what's the size of the market? Do they see it? Do they care about it? And quite frankly, the, the biggest thing I think as a founder is, you know, we, we love, you know, on my background's technology too. I have a computer science degree, a master's in computer science. I have a business degree, like, okay. But the thing that eluded, we, we created great technology, but we didn't do the work on the business side of it, right? We didn't do that work. And so as founders, we think the grit, the commitment, the passion is going to get it to where it needs to be. And quite frankly, so many great ideas, we know it, so many great ideas don't get out there. But if, and it's partly why I do what I do every day, is to actually take those founders, those leaders, people who have had great ideas, but they haven't had the success of getting it out to grow up and serve the market, whatever that might be, is, is the framework to do it, right? In a, in a very systematic way, repeatable way, rather than not. And so founders, you know, they're gritty, they're passionate, they solve problems, uh, they have the courage, but not all, and I include myself in there, had the, and I went to business school, I went to tech school, I still didn't, I did, still, it wasn't like snap, I know how to do this on the business side. We don't get taught that, unfortunately. So how do you find that special sauce? So it seems like everyone, like an entrepreneur, I'm thinking it's like a pizza, right? Like you can have a great base, you can have some great sauce, you can have some great cheese, but like, what's the special like sauce? I feel like you yeah. have done a lot of work working with companies and working with founders in kind of developing unique special sauces. But is there kind yeah. of like a common theme behind them? And kind of what was your process in creating that? Yeah, you know, within our own organization, I'm going to start there and then, and then you know, explain why it works for almost anyone, right? I mean, that's the most amazing thing is that, For us, we put in the first four years in our organization, finding a way to raise money, to get people excited, a small group excited about what we did, you know, get it in the market. Like we did all that. We we worked really hard, many hours, long days, everything you expect when you start a company. But then you get to a point where it's about four years in and we have this great opportunity, global opportunity. We just got funded you know, 20, 30 million of funding came in at that time. And it's like, how are we ever going to, like what got us here isn't going to get us there, right? And so we've done some of the right things at this point. You know, we have a long-term goal, our 10 to 30 year goal. We have a one-year plan. We have a good team. 
but it was really hard to drive the alignment. And so one of the things that I'm known for now, but we thought everybody had one and we're the ones that missed whatever the story was whenever it came out is having, having a midterm goal. And it sounds silly. A lot of people will do a 10 to 30 year goal, but not as many as you think. You know, Jim Collins' big, hairy, audacious goal is 10 to 30 years out there. We did that. We were trying to follow best practice. We had our one-year annual plan presented to the board, all that great stuff. And then we had this five-year super wild-ass guess, right? That was our midterm. And it was so super wild-ass that nobody believed it. Nobody connected with it. No one committed to it. And so Mm -hmm. we were like, "Mm, let's bring it a bit closer. Let's create a three-year highly achievable goal. That's the three hag. Let's, let's create that. Let's make sure that there's a line in the sand drawn, meaning like this is where we're going to be three years from now. And then once we do that, let's take a step back and go like, we're here and we want to go there. What is the path that we think right now that we can lay out for 12 quarters? It's only 12 quarters. Mm-hmm. Now I can tell you when we did that, um, the, I was part of a CEO roundtable, sort of like a YPO forum, but it was for tech CEOs. And, and I was telling my group, yeah, so here's what we did. And I'm going to share that with my board of directors. And they, they, they basically said, you're going to get fired. You're going to get fired next year. Cause you're not going to actually be able to achieve that. I said, no, no, it's highly achievable. They're like, no, you're going to get fired. Like, that, that's not going to work. And so they're pretty adamant about that. But we had no choice. We were like, we really have to get better at this. And so we actually wrote down our three-year highly achievable goal. We did our one-year plan. But the difference is we actually spent the time working through our strategy. A strategy is unique and valuable position. We get to create it. And we get to choose the set of differentiating actions. Right. We, you know, a strategy is making some decisions, you know, in light of the environment we're playing in and what we have to offer for the core customer who's going to buy it at a profit. So we spent time doing that. So we were like, mm, I, I, you know, we're good. We're not 100% confident, but we're better than we were having a five year. And so we put that in place. And then I realized I thought, well, my, my CEO roundtable doesn't do it, but I'm sure others do it. They must. Right. So we carried on as a leadership team or a global company leadership team building this out. What what we learned is, is that no, not everybody does that. Actually, probably less than who had a big hairy audacious goal. But the thing that I have learned about the secret sauce of this, the thing that unlocked it was having that path written down, collaborated and talked about. But not only that. It was the commitment to our own internal behavior, the team habits that we are committing to, to make sure that every day, week, month, quarter, we were going to like figure out how's the bus doing? Are we getting closer? Do we need to make a right at the next stop sign or a left? And we, we committed our behavior. And that sounds like a bit of a weird answer, quite honestly. That's the secret team habits and putting a three-year goal out there. But what we've learned is that and, and, you know, I, we did this four times in the teams that I worked with, two of my own companies and two other companies that acquired the companies we were a part of. And then I got called to coach a company. And, you know, I want to finish this off because if people are listening in and going, a three hag, really? That's the secret sauce? You know, it's the three hag connected to the team right? Mm -hmm. The team connects to it. It's not just dollars. It's the things that flow through your business that you must make happen in order to make money to the plan. And when I went into the first company, I said, look, I've never coached a company before. I don't know if this will work for you and your team. And they're like, well, we just watched you do it, you know, four times in a period of time that we're still slogging along in our business with, you know, not much success. And I said, well, okay, if you're willing, I'm willing. And so we jumped in and, you know, they, they had the same, they had great success like we did, you know, got them out the other side. But the interesting thing is, is that the three hag is very, just by writing a goal down by yourself, isn't the secret. It's writing it down with your team. 
because now the team has committed to it. And it, because it's so close, the team, as soon as you leave that meeting, when you do that work, the team is like already walking out the door going, okay, so here's how I think we're going to get there. Because at the end of the day, how we grow up a company is the key. It's not the what, you know, what do we do? It's the how we do it. And so the three hugs been my, my secret sauce, even when I didn't know it was the secret sauce, we totally fell into it. I absolutely love that. I love how you share how it's not just about you writing those goals down kind of like in your secret diary. It's about like putting it out to the world, almost leaning into that vulnerability, right? Like being a vulnerable leader. I love that. But I think before we go any further, for those who don't know what a BHAG or a three hag is, firstly, I'd love for you to define that. And secondly, what makes a good Mm. three hag? Oh, that's a great question. So a a BHAG is a big, hairy, audacious goal coined by Jim Collins. And it's, it's putting out there your 10 to 30 year goal as a company. Now, when you're a small company or even a large company, you know, I hear it all the time. Most people go 10 to 30 years. Like, hopefully I'm not here in 10 to 30 years. (laughs) And it's not about that. It's really about what is the opportunity for us to grow what we have? Where can we end up? We would never get on a bus with let's say a hundred people, say we have this convoy of buses, we'd never just get on and go, anyone know where we're going? Right? So the mm-hmm. BHAG lays out where we're going. Where do we want to end up? What's mm-hmm. our end goal? It's 10 to 30 years away. Periodacious is, is it big enough? Right? What, what impact are we going to make? There are four types of BHAGs, by the way. And most people would argue that a goal must have a measure in it. Well, I tried every one of those BHAGs with my team. And of course, I did the one that works the best last, right? Which is the one that has no numbers in it. Mm. My huge, huge, huge advice is create, you know, write your BHAG down with no numbers. When you have numbers in it, everybody focuses on on the number. And it becomes a very negative thing. There's no way we can get to 2 million, whatever it is, right? We can't, we're doing 10 today. And it's just this negative thing. So by removing the numbers and going, we're like, can, can you see, can you paint the picture of where we're gonna end up, right? That's what we wanna do with a BHAG. Now the three HAG is a three year highly achievable goal. And why it exists is because it's the stepping stone to get to your BHAG. So people can go, oh yeah, that's so far away. I want to go there. I believe in it. I want to go there. They have no, they, they don't even know which way to turn at the stop sign. So if we can put the stepping stone, that interim step in place with our teams to go, yeah, we're going there. We're going there in three years time. Where do we have to get to? That's what the three hags all about. And it brings together strategy and execution. And your three-year highly achievable goal, we do want numbers. We do want to be specific, both fiscal, so, you know, gross rev, you know, I'm not, I like profit, but profit's a made up number. I really like cash, right? Cash, you put it in a wheelbarrow, you walk it away, cash, all about cash. And so, you know, you're going to lay out that cash number and then you're going to lay out like the widgets, which is a term that we came up with and we came up with because widgets are the things that flow through your business. They're mm-hmm. raw leads, they're marketing qualified leads, they're closed contracts, they're boxes shipped, cases shipped, invoices sent. These are things that your team actually controls. And we need so many of them in order to reach those fiscal numbers right? It's the score that we're all playing the game. And so the three hag is a way for a team to collaborate on where they want to be, like reach out and touch three years from now, but knowing that it's lined up to your 10 to 30 year goal. And it really brings alive the BHAG for us. And then the, our team, knowing we we're going to end up what, you know, where we wanted to be, you know, our, in our world, then we knew what our stepping stone, which was just pared down, scoped down. We could get our arms around it. We knew how to, you know, actually map a path to it and think about it in a bus. Mm-hmm. So if you're driving like, you know, from Seattle, let's say to Boston, and you know, you're going to have to stop along the way. It's a long trip. 
people yeah. will lose interest. So maybe we have to get from Seattle and I'm making stuff up because I don't know which way I'd go, but <laughs> let's throw out Chicago, right? It's a stopping point. Something to look forward to a little closer. No, we can gas up and get some money and food and all those things. So that's the idea behind it because most teams, most organization have a one-year plan and we call it a one hag. A one-year, highly achievable goal that we've built a plan around. Every team has one. And yes, we even have a 90-day plan called a QHAG. It's your quarterly, highly achievable goal. So it's breaking it down to ensure that we can see it all. But it's not one person writing the plan down and saying, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's setting out where do we need to go and having the team together collaborate on how we're going to get there. I love that. And I feel like even outside of the kind of entrepreneurial or business side of things, I feel like it could be also very applicable in one's personal life as well. Like I'm thinking Uh, about the goals I wrote down, you know, January 1st, like every other person in this whole world. And I was writing down a whole list, like three pages of things that I wanted to do. And I wanted to be by the end of the year but I didn't really have a game plan one. I didn't have like, a like I didn't see what I would look like in like 10 years or three years or one year. Yeah. Like, within this one year, I want to do all of this change. I guess yeah. my question with that is like, how have you seen the three hag and the B hag being used in a more like personal setting? And how yeah. Oh, I love that. Because as, as we started putting this in place in our business and for our teams, What we did individually is we created what we called a personal one-page plan. Mm -hmm. And on that personal one-page plan was our personal core purpose, our 10-year goal, right? Our three-year goal. And then we broke it down into like, you know, uh, we tried to actually in categories like family, fitness, or health, you know, faith, like all those things. Like, what are those things? What are those key things? And then we broke it down into one year. Where do we want to be? And then we broke it down at the bottom of the page was what did we have to do in the next 90 days to move ourselves forward? And so we use this personally. You know, I I was like, I'm so driven that way. And I was like, this works Mm -hmm. in business. Why wouldn't it work for me personally? So I do it. I still do it today. I'm retired, been retired for 10 years. I still do this today. Every 90 days I work it. I carry it around with me. And then, you know, the funny thing is our team did it. And in our team, we believed in 90 day coaching reviews. So a two way review between, you know, a team member and a leader. And so we could provide feedback to coach them forward, both in, in the business, but also in their development. And they could give us feedback as leaders on how we were doing and having knowledge of our plans as well, which is sort of cool. It's unusual, but cool. That's sort of the way that works. And then, you know, funny enough, many people laugh that I did this with my own kids, but since my kids could write, you know, anything they would fill out in September, because that's the beginning of the school year, um, their personal one-page plan all the way through to still doing it today, right? And just, you know, I can remember my daughter at, I guess she would have been seven. She's like, mom, in 10 years, I'm going to be like graduating high school. And wow. You know, so I'm going to graduate high school 10 years. And then when she was 12, yeah, 11, 12 in 10 years time, I'll be graduating university. Um, She's also, you know, really focused athlete. So like sort of lining up and this is, you know, under 10, she's like, well, in 10 years time, okay, I'm going to be at these world championships at another 10, I'm going to be here. But it's just interesting that what that allowed a person to think about. And that's what, you know, that 10 year allows us to, you know, heredacious is wild. Like, what do you want to do 10 years from now? What, what that is. And you just keep doing it, right? What are those goals? And, and frankly, you get better at it, both personally and professionally, you get better at it. I absolutely love it. I think it reminds me of, I was talking to someone and he was like, I was talking to him about how I felt really burnt out at the end of last year. And I was like, how do I like work on this? And he was like, you put together plans for like the entrepreneurs network, for example, like you treat it like a startup because it is your baby. Like you need to start treating yourself like a startup. 
Like you need yeah. like the fuel, you need the same organization and the same structures in order for anything that your startup produces to work well. And I was like, whoa, this makes so much sense. Like I am my own business. Like I need to make yes. sure that I'm still in shop, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I love it. It does. It makes so much sense. And the opportunity you have here and what you can do really depends on how big you want to think. Mm-hmm. 100%. Right. I loved how you also spoke about how you were doing these goal setting activities with your daughter at such a young age. I think it's so <laughs> amazing. Like I remember the, at least the school that Waylon and I were at, we did school starting super young. We did these smart goals and it was everything from yeah. like being able to read for 25 minutes straight to right, like, read, right. like these sorts of things. And of course it was tedious when you were seven, like, what is this? This doesn't mean any much, but I think once you connect with the goal and it seems like with your daughter, it was through yes. her athleticism and her yes. competitions, that's when it feels meaningful. So on a more personal note, how do you think your idea of BHAG and these hairy audacious goals as a mother was modeled to your daughter? And how do you think she picked that up? All three of my kids would say like, Yep. Every September here came the, (laughs) but, but they also know that when we set goals, it's, it's, you know, as you said earlier, we can write them down, Yeah. but it's really, how do we break them down Mm. to, you know, make those little steps towards them. And I loved how you talked about connecting to the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, even laying out at seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, right. And now, you know, they're still, writing their goals down every year and planning them for the end of the year. Like it's something that's ingrained, which is great, but I had that as well. But I think the example, right, it's really key. Um, They knew I was doing it too, right? And and they're like watching and stepping. And as they got older, I think they're even probably more attuned to that, both, you know, professionally, right? But, and personally too in athletics. You know, I, I still always set goals athletic wise each and every year pick a race make sure okay I'm going to do that race I have a coach for that I have my goals I have my three-year goals I mean it's ridiculous I'm like a master's unprofessional athlete right beer league athlete but it's still really fun so I really think the examples but also the feedback you get you know on on that coaching through now when I look at you know all three of my kids in school and in sport or, you know, theater and singing, they, they've all set goals all along the way. And they're, and they're connecting it back to, like, I, I know my middle son is a national level trampolinist, right? At that level, been stuck at that level for the last two years for the pandemic because there hasn't been many competitions. And mm-hmm. so, you know, one of the goals is to like get to the next level, right? There's still some more levels. And it's been like, is that the point going, I don't know if it's even worth it anymore because there's just no competitions to mobilize to the next level. And I said, yeah, you know, I totally understand that because when you set your goals and, and, and through the pandemic, the last two years, all of us had, have had goals shift, right? Mm-hmm. Goals shift and have to deal with it and reset. And a lot of people go, oh, you know, it takes so much time to write a goal and a detailed plan for it not to come true. And I always go, oh, if you could just write it down in a detailed way, you know, just it's so human because of the connection and because of the, the feedback, that positive feedback you get and the opportunity to, I always say evolve. I never, I don't use the word change. I always say evolve. We can evolve and I use iterate a lot. So Mm -hmm. we can iterate the plan as long as we've set out the goals, it's not going to go exactly as, you know, if I take my son, for instance, as, as he planned, he, he had that goal for last year. He set it again for this year. He's on path, right? And I said, fine. Does your longer term goal, is that blown out? No. Okay. So we're taking a different path. And I think that's where goals and people get lost in goal setting. And when, you know, I, I, someone else made a comment to me because they were joking about my kids doing personal one-page plans as soon as they could write it down, whatever it was. And I said, they said, what were you thinking? I said, well, I was just thinking that if I could help them understand how to set a goal and break it down, and that's what building a business is, that's what being yeah. an entrepreneur is, that's what life's all about, then it would allow them um, a repeatable way 
to actually mindset wise think about this and and I, I think of what they do today and where their goals are now it's just yeah it blows me away they, they're probably more goal oriented than I was at that age because they've done this for so long I love building that habit I feel like so many people, you know, like from a young age, I feel like I sat down like every year and like wrote down some like random goals, but being able to connect it to a longer vision, I think is so important. Like I can, like, I can only imagine if at seven years old, I was like, wow, like in 10 years, I'm going to graduate, like call, like I'm going to graduate high school. Like, what's that going to look like? How do I work towards that goal? Like, I imagine I would be at a very different place in my life if I had done that. And like, that's so interesting to think about. So I guess my next question is just like, like if parents or like even groups of friends like want to implement this into their own life, what is some of like some advice you would say to give other parents too? Yeah. So, well, the number one thing I would say because that template I shared out with everyone, it's off metronomeunited.com. There's a resource portal. It's totally complimentary. Everything that I've ever done and any tool I've ever used is there. It sounds crazy, but if, if you're listening in and you're, you're wondering, you know, how do you get started? I simply, you know, with, you know, we picked September cause it was the beginning of a school year. And for a person of that age, it was easy to have the discussion around they're starting a new grade, right? Seven, mm -hmm. you're in grade two. Like, think about that. You're in grade two. Uh, yeah. So 10 years from now, you know, and they're like 10 years now, like, I, you know, you're counting two, three, you know, it's just interesting, but you're just to set goals and to help someone else set goals and to actually lay this out. It's number one, remembering that there's a start of a time period, whatever it is. Number two is ask the questions. And there's really some simple questions. It's even when you ask a seven-year-old, so what's, what's your purpose? What do you think a seven-year-old will say? They'll say, well, you know, they're starting grade two. Uh, I really wanna, you know, some will say, I really wanna be a great friend. You know, my purpose is to do well. Like, it's really interesting to ask young people these questions. You know, it's from the mouth of babes. Yes, this comes out. I mean, I learned a ton. Could probably write a book on that. And then the second thing is, you know, context of 10 years to a seven-year-old, that is eternity. Yeah. Right? But you could put in the context. Most will write down, oh, I'll be in grade 12. I'll be graduating 10 years from now. And they put in context of what they know, right? Others have, there's lots of seven-year-olds that are really good at things and they've already got plans and vision. It's amazing. And then, you know, because it's a question. So 10 years from now, well, what do you, where do you think you're going to be? They'll, they'll write it down. They'll draw a picture. They'll do whatever. How about three years from now? What's three years look like? And they go, grade three, grade four, you know? And they're like, oh, well, I'm going to be a really good reader. I'm going to be good. At, like, it's just so, but it's just training them to think that way. And then you go one year from now, okay, grade two, where, where are you going to get at the end of grade two? And they'll have an answer, which is what, if you don't ask the question, you know, there is no answer. So by asking, and it's True. like, as a parent, it's the discipline of just, like, I was rhythmical, like, I think as my kids got older, you know, into 10, 11, 12, 13, they're like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just leave it out on their desk in their room. I print out the piece of paper, I put it down. And I, you know, they do it or not, but most would do it and put it up on their room and put it up on their wall. I love right? it. So it's visible. No, absolutely. I think there's so many wonderful lessons that come out of the BHAG, which is why transitioning sort of into our next topic about being a best-selling author, you taking these lessons, putting it into a book, sharing it with the world. And I want to kind of dive into a little bit about that. Firstly, who is your book for? And then with that as well, let's say you find who the book is for. They buy this book. Many of us, for ego reasons or not, have books sitting on our shelves. Yes. Why is this book going to pop out to them? Why will someone take this book out mm. and read it? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I never thought I'd ever have one book, let alone three books. That, that was just not even in, in my wheelhouse of thought when I retired. And I didn't think I would coach either. And, you know, the, the, the reason why, I'll give you the reason why we wrote the book, who it's for, and then really, you know, where it's come from. So the, the reason the book was written is that as a coach, I could only help 
you know, six companies at a time. Like that's all the impact I could make. And we we're making great impact. So um, more people, you know, I was like, okay, well, this is working. Why don't I just write down the methodology from a CEO's perspective? And we wrote the metronome effect. That was the first book, street version of here's how you do it. Here's how we did it. Here's the prescription. And it's written for, and every one of these books is written for a leader, a CEO who is desperate to achieve their goals. Whatever they are, it doesn't really matter, but they're stuck, right? I was desperate. Four years into my first business, we had this huge opportunity. I felt we were stuck. We weren't getting to where we needed to go and we're leaving opportunity on the table and we weren't following through on winning our business Olympics. So these books are written for like, because I didn't want anyone to be as desperate as I was. And I was desperate. I read four books a week for 24 months looking for this book, these books. I just wanted it to be like, just, I'm good. Like at the, at a prescription, I'll do exactly what you say. I'm that desperate. And the funny thing is I say it that way, but leaders who find these books and find this methodology, it pulls together every other book they've read about business, right? It pulls together all the what of all the thought leaders, metronomics, because I've read and my team and I have read so many books. We are like, these are all great what's and they're all over the place. A little bit of team cohesiveness, a little bit of culture, a little bit of cash, a little bit of strategy. Like, it's like whack-a-mole, right? It's like, oh my gosh, how do you keep up with that? How do you balance it? And so the thing why it pops off the shelf to so many CEOs like myself is because it gives a timed, metronomics gives an actual timeline of where you can be by when, what you need to do, how you need to do it, preparation, what you need to do with your team, the homework, and connects all the thought leaders, the culture, the cohesiveness, the human system, strategy, execution, cash, coaching, scaling, all of it into one framework. So metronomics is a repeatable framework, right? It's that playbook. It provides an open playing field for transparent, how you want to play with one another and that team connected score. And then, you know, fully, if I'm transparent, metronomics, the other leg of it is a coach, a coach who understands the system. So the thing that I talk about and a lot of people go, oh, you're just saying that because you're a coach. No, I'm saying it because I was coached. Yeah. The coach, like my first business, it took us five years to get onto this path. And then we were from year five to 10 built and sold it, right? That, that's what our goal was. The second company was zero to three years, 12 quarters. And, you know, we were the top three deals on mid-market deals on Wall Street that year. 60 times top line we sold for value of the organization. It wasn't that we got lucky twice. It was the framework, the system that repeatability and the coach too. <laughs> the coach was key. I was very lucky to work with a coach to you know, remove the blind spots, open it up. And so the way the books go is Metronome Effect was written like from a CEO perspective. Three Hag Way was written because people are asking me about this three hag, meaning coaches, and could we use it? And so I gave it out to everyone. They used it and got the same success that I got in my companies and with the companies I coach. I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. And they're like, not many people know about it. So that gives you the strategy system and all the reasons why pulls together the top strategic thought leaders into one system that nobody's done, right? Mm -hmm. And then metronomics pulls together the balance of the soft edge systems, right? Culture, cohesion, you know, the team. Uh, balancing it up with strategy, execution, and cash. And the most interesting thing is, is that the three hag, we go all the way back around to that. Why would that pop off for anybody listening in who may or may have, may have one and hasn't really turned it on on the behavioral side or doesn't have one and is curious? A three hag is absolutely human. Metronomics is absolutely a human flow in how we grow a team 
to win, right? Any team, there's lots of teams gonna win the business Olympics, but uh, any team to win at anything they've set out to. It's a team sport, business is a team sport. What I love about the methods and your decision to write the books is that it really opens up the playing field. Like I imagine a lot of minority founders can pick up the book and really start working towards winning that Olympics. A lot yes. of women entrepreneurs can now have access to just top quality um, like resources and actual plans because there is so much noise out there when it comes to business. Yeah. I know whenever I talk to my dad about like reading business books, he's mm -hmm. like, I get through one chapter and it's like, okay, I get it. But like, how do I implement it? Like there's yes. so many examples, but it's all like, so fluff, true. Right? like as long as you get the main yes. point, everything else is fluff. And I feel like yeah. the books from the way you talk about it and also just like reading the three highway too, like they are really just like realistic things you can implement regardless if that's whether your own life or, you know, the business side of things. So yeah. definitely agree with that. Just a quick other question. Um, what is something surprising that you learned from writing a book? Oh, so, you know, the interesting thing about writing a book never, like I wrote a book, uh, I wrote a book to share, okay, here's, here's how we did it. Please take it and make it yours, right? So, but I think the most amazing thing about writing a book is I almost feel selfish saying this is that the amount of learning that the author does is more than you ever expected. The amount of learning you do. And so I can remember sitting down and metronomics came out of, we have 85 coaches around the world, right? 85 coaches around the world are metronome coaches, use the framework amazing right um but it was you know three hag attracted more coaches and want to be certified and i was like yeah like you don't need to be certified in it it's all in the book it's written down metronomics was written because the coaches are like there's something more you're doing and i was like i don't think so like you know everything i know uh, i'm sure you're doing it you know, to get the outcome. They're like, we're not getting the exact same outcomes. You seem to do it in less time and you get a bigger outcome. And I was like, hmm, interesting. And so part of the convincing of writing metronomics and, you know, what's the one thing, you know, an author takes away is that that experience, that me committing to the coaches going, okay, I'm going to write it down. I'll write it all down. I'll see if I can, I don't know. But my own personal growth went from here to here for sure. Mm -hmm. And just having the awareness and the step back and getting it out of my head. Because a lot of these things we did, we did inherently, like we yeah. learned them. I couldn't even, sometimes I didn't even know I was doing them. Yeah. Right. So it forced me to like, you know, get out of my head, look in, look at the data, look at the success we had and why there was success. And so writing the books, Anyone who ever wants to write a book, I always say, yes, you must do it, whether you publish it or not, because the level of learning get, that you'll have on that topic goes to the next level. Oh my goodness. I love that. Oh, so many things. Waylon and I have talked a lot about writing books, so we definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely have that bug inside of us. But I also like how you talked about thinking retrospectively and like unlearning sometime. I think just this yes. is like a general thing in life. Sometimes the hardest thing is not learning, it's unlearning from like social yes. things to like academics to just like ways things should be but in reality they shouldn't so right love that you touched on that because I think that's such 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 a powerful thing so I think I kind of got a sense of this by saying if you want to write a book just write it but would yes. you have any tips for aspiring authors who are looking to maybe publish their book and share it with the world yeah so what I would say to that and maybe it's just how I think myself I think in pictures Right. So I, I think in pictures. And so one of the things, and this sounds ridiculous, what I'm going to say, but if you really want to write a book and a lot of people get stuck writing the book. So yeah. what I would recommend, and even what I did with metronomics is I actually PowerPointed the whole book. Interesting. I PowerPointed it in pictures. I love it. It's not no. even a picture book. No, there's lots of pictures in that book. There's like mm. 103 pictures. I just want to say aloud, but Ooh. I just want like I, and, and it was 
to tell the story that I wanted to tell. And yeah. it was way easier to move it around than not. I also worked with on all three books. Um, and I didn't work with the same one each time, but I found a really great, in my world, it was a business editor mm-hmm. who could, who didn't write the book, but could help. Like once I PowerPointed, I think they thought I was crazy, honestly. Like they're like, you what? Like there's 300 slides, right? And I could tell the story and I recorded the story to get them to make sure they understood the story. And then, then we went back and forth for a little while to structure it. And one of the things, the structure of metronomics in particular, it's a, it's a thick, you know, it's like, I, I can't, it's double the other size of the books, right? Like it's thick. It's the, the size of it is like a good, like almost like get in there, write in it, pictures, graphics. But the reason why it was done that way, we wanted to have a story so, so anybody reading it could find themselves in the story and experienced it. We wanted to make sure people knew where it came from. It didn't come from research, it came from experience. And the last thing is we wanted to make sure that people like were like, yeah, like the how. I like that, but how am I ever gonna get that going? It's there. And so the structure, a business editor can help you, you know, think about the audience and what's the structure that's gonna, you know, really get their attention. So you can make the impact that you're looking to with the book. And so, yeah, it's hard to write a book on your own, for sure. There's no doubt. It's like writing your master's thesis by yourself. (laughs) It's hard. (laughs) Well, you have a graduate advisor. (laughs) Yeah, I have to write a senior thesis at Princeton. Um, So that's definitely like on my mind. I think it's like like 80 to 100 pages of like research. (laughs) And I feel like, that's going to be like my first step into hopefully the book world. But Allie and I have been really looking forward to kind of just like dipping our toes in something new. But we have yes. a couple of just rapid fire concluding thoughts yeah. for today. Um, we've talked a little bit about like winning your business Olympics. I want to ask specifically, how does metronomics help you win that business Olympics? Yes, metronomics helps you win the business Olympics because it will force you to write down what that is, what the win is being your three hag, and it will force you just inherently to actually build the plan. It's very, as soon as you write it down, you know it might be wrong, but as humans, we don't wanna be wrong. So it'll just start you on your journey. I love that. Totally right, absolutely. We don't wanna be wrong, but sometimes it's the best thing for us. Okay, next thing. Why should a college student read this book? And why is the BHAG mm-hmm. and metronome super relevant for college age students like Waylon and myself? Whoa, that's a huge question, but I'll do it as rapid fire <laughs> because I don't want you to come out of school the way I came out of school and not having the visibility into how to bring my ideas and make an impact. This is all about the how. I work with students all over the world. I work with entrepreneurship centers. I am all about this because I have a business degree and I didn't know how to do it. Wow, that is convincing. (laughs) And so quick, lighthearted questions. What is something that you are grateful for today? Oh, I am uh, so grateful. I'll I'll tell you, I I chair a a board of a large company here in Canada. And I had the opportunity to meet with half the board today and I'll meet with the other half tomorrow. But I'm just so grateful for the cohesiveness we have on the board and their feedback. Actually, it was all, it was a big feedback day. That's what I was doing before now. And every last piece of feedback is important. And it's important we listen. So I'm so grateful for that engagement and energy. 100% feedback is everything. Like it's frustrating mm-hmm. almost to get no feedback. Like when something's yes. like, good, yes. like, okay, like that's unhelpful. <laughs> You're like, yeah. tell me it sucks. Tell me it's terrible. Yes. In pieces. Tell me your feedback. I completely, completely resonate with that. <laughs> Secondly, what is something that you love about yourself today? Oh, I think the biggest thing is that I get to get up every day and focus in on doing what I want to do, saying yes to help leaders and entrepreneurs grow. I'm just so grateful for that and thankful that that's what I get to do every day. Every day I decide to do that. It's awesome. 
I love that. And what does it mean to you to be an entrepreneur? Ah, an entrepreneur, what it means is you get to make decisions to what you want to impact and figure out how to do it. And I am like, oh, so grateful for the last 20, I don't even want to say it out loud, 25 plus years of having that opportunity and working with people who believe the same thing. It's been an incredible journey. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. There are oh. so many just nuggets of joy and precious moments in this <laughs> podcast that I know both myself and Waylon personally, but also all our listeners will really, really, really benefit from. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to have the podcast and get it going. Thank, thank you. you. It means a lot to it us. It means a lot to us. So where can we follow you? Where can we connect with the BHAG? Where can we get the book? Mm. Where can we learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so our, our main website is metronomeunited.com. Like everything we talk about in any of the three books, there's a full reader resource portal. Lots of people are in there downloading, leveraging. There's also uh, a software platform. It's called Metronome Growth Systems. And it actually supports, it's what we call the opening playing field, the open playing field. And it supports everything we've talked about today around the goals, the structure, the strategy. It really leverages that and allows people to get in there and to work with their team to grow their company. So metronomegrowsystems.com, metronomeunited.com. And then please link into me. Search me out. It's Shannon Susco. And I love, I love connecting with people, learning about what other people are doing. It's a, it's a way to keep us, you know, really making sure we're looking around because there's so much out there. And if you have questions, send them my way. LinkedIn's a great way. Our website's a great way. Please, please don't hesitate to connect. I love that. I love it. And with that, that's a wrap on this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you so much, Shannon, for joining us today. So welcome. Thank you. That wraps it up for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope hearing from Shannon about her journey with her children, as well as how she works in metronomics. If you like this podcast, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Even better, leave us a five-star review and share your thoughts on the podcast. Want to get in touch? Send a question or suggest a guest? We read every one of our emails and DMs, so please feel free to reach out to us via nihao at entrepreneursnetwork.com or at the Entrepreneurs Network on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also check out the show notes for more ways to chat. The Entrepreneurs Podcast is just one of the podcast shows under the Entrepreneurs Network. Each podcast shows explores its own niche community of women entrepreneurs. To explore our shows, head over to our website, entrepreneursnetwork.com. Thank you to our amazing team at the Entrepreneurs Network, especially today's episode's lead producers. Mm-hmm.